How's everybody doing? Okay, good. How many of you have heard me before in years past? Awesome, awesome. How many of you, this is your first time hearing me ever? Cool. Awesome. Most of you sat over there. <laughs> good decision. Um, so, yes, it's true. My name is Blake. <laughs> and I've seen in the spirit for as long as I can remember. Um, I'll talk to us a little bit about that at the beginning. I am... Um, it's definitely something that will be sprinkled out throughout what I, what I have to share this weekend, but I have, I have a suspicion that there's a specific thing that God's wanting to release to you guys this weekend. I'm, I'm excited to see it kind of come to fruition. Um, I, uh, and I'll, I'll start by saying what I saw during worship. Um, there was a lot of the, the normal things that I see in worship as far as I, seeing angels dancing and celebrating with you guys and, you know, just, just uh, partnering with the, the presence of the Holy Spirit as it was coming into the room, partnering with what everyone was doing on the stage, partnering with what everyone was doing in the, in the crowd as far as just turning your hearts towards, towards the Lord. Um, but I saw something a, a little bit uh, interesting, um, apart from all of that being interesting. <laughs> um, in the middle of, of worship, I saw these, these five very tall angels step onto the stage and they were wearing these long robes that completely covered them. I couldn't see their feet, couldn't see their body. It was just kind of this very uh, tight sort of w white robe. Um, but they all had very long golden hair. And as they stepped on the stage, they, their hands kind of opened up and came out of their robe. And they were each holding a crown. And they kind of in a ceremonial sort of fashion stepped down from the stage set the crown, each of their crowns down on the floor here. And it was interesting, as worship kept going on, the, uh, almost like if you've ever seen like time-lapse footage of cells dividing in a petri dish or things like that, the crowns kind of multiplied on the ground there. And they're still doing that. There's just bunches of them all over the place. And I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about what I think that means specifically at the end after I share this one thing with you. Um, um, so, uh, yeah, my name is Blake. I'm, uh, I'm the uh, director of the School of Ministry at Bethel Atlanta. I'm uh, part of the leadership team there. I'm the head of the prophetic ministry there. And I, um, I had an interesting experience uh, over, over New Year's Eve. Uh, we just had a few friends over to our house, and we were just um, hanging out, playing board games, waiting for the night to come, or the, you know, midnight thing to come. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I'm... I've uh, been involved in prophetic ministry since I was 12 years old. I've, I've you know, been a big part of the, the prophetic culture in, in several different uh, areas and places. And despite that, I've never really been a person who very often would get what I felt was like a prophetic word for the year or a prophetic theme for the year. I, um, I, I in, always enjoyed hearing what people were hearing um, you know, from God about those things, but I never really felt like I got anything like that myself. Just, just, just not something that really happened. And so it's New Year's Eve. We're hanging out with a few friends. The, <laughs> our, I don't have cable because, you know, I'm under 40, and that's what we do now. <laughs> I'm sorry, that might have been taken offensively. I just realized it's okay if you have cable. Anyway, <laughs> I don't have cable because I have Netflix and all these other internet things. So, but well, you have to watch the ball drop because that's the thing that you do. So we get an iPhone out and, you know, set it on the <laughs> windowsill because <laughs> it was the best solution I had at the time. The ball is dropping. It hits midnight. And as soon as it hits midnight, I hear the Holy Spirit say very clearly, this is the year of Emmanuel. 
thought, huh, that's interesting. I usually don't, I wasn't listening in particular. I wasn't expecting anything. I just hear this is the year of Emmanuel. And of course, most of us know the word Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And as soon as I processed that in my brain, Emmanuel means God with us, I immediately felt that this was a year of unprecedented opportunity to feel, experience, and step into a deeper, more tangible relationship with God. We all believe that God is with us. We all believe that God is everywhere, but we don't always tangibly feel the very literal presence of God being with us in a very real and personal way. And even these, these words like real and personal that we apply to our relationship with God, it, it sometimes we hear them so much that they don't mean anything anymore. And what, what I believe that means is that it feels like God is a real person with you, with an opinion, with an ongoing conversation, with ongoing interaction with you. Does that make sense? And so it really, it really hit me. I felt it, and I felt like it was not just for me. I didn't feel like it was just for our church. I felt like it was one, one of the themes that God was releasing this year. And as I thought about it and processed it for, for a few weeks, I began to think, you know, man, there's so, many, there's so many prophetic words that I've heard. There's so many themes that I've heard about a given year, about a given time. And I don't always feel those things come to fruition in my life personally. You know, and sometimes it's hard to know. How do I, how do I grab onto that? How do I do something with that? What does that look like? And so to, to explore a little bit of that, I'm... I'm probably going to talk about this specific subject a little bit more later, but one of the things that bothers me most is when God puts, makes something good available to us and his children miss it or just aren't aware that it's there. And so I was reviewing in my mind just different themes, prophetic themes that I'd heard declared over different years and how many times it felt like I missed out on that thing. And so I want to kind of take you back a little bit in, my, in how I learned how the prophetic operates it's going to take you through a couple ideas here. And I will warn you ahead of time, uh, some of this is a little bit of a roller coaster. I will warn you when we are coming up to the top and about to go down, <laughs> but I'll also let you know when it's time to, to pull back up. So <laughs> buckle your seatbelt if necessary. <laughs> um, so one of my favorite prophetic teachers, he was kind of the first guy that I latched on to, got all of his books, got all of his tapes, just sat up in my parents' room listening to all these tapes you know, right after I'd learned what this prophetic thing was, was a guy by the name of Graham Cook. Really like his stuff a lot. He's got, yeah, he's good stuff. If you ever just want to just feel good about how much God loves you, just get some Graham Cook stuff. Um, Graham like the cracker, if you're looking for the <laughs> name. <laughs> and Cook in the British way with an E at the end. Um, and he had this idea that I, that I would uh, almost completely agree with, um, that... There are some prophetic words that are over a nation, that are over an area, that are just going to happen. God has declared it, God has said this is going to happen, and just the divine will of God is just going to make that thing happen, regardless of what we do. I believe that there are things like that. I believe that Jesus is coming back no matter what we do. <laughs> you know? I believe that before Jesus came, he was coming no matter what we did. Right. You know, if that makes sense. There are things that God has just put in motion that this is the way it's going to happen. However, he has said that he believes that every single personal prophecy, every single prophecy that any of us receive as an individual is conditional, which is a little bit, little bit nerve-wracking <laughs> if you think about it. And so as I 
started to think about that and process that, and he had a few ideas, you know, about what that means exactly and how that works. And, you know, some of them are obvious. If someone tells, gives you prophetic word, I see you preaching to stadiums of people, I see you leading hundreds to the Lord, then thousands, then millions to the Lord. If your response to that is, okay, I'm going to go home and watch every single season of the West Wing 14 times, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, just do that for the next 20 or 30 years or so, and just wait for that stadium to show up, or wait for that invitation to the stadium to show up, you know, that word's probably not going to come to fruition. So there's simple practical things, but then, it, you know, it's not quite that simple, because, you know, obviously if I do nothing, it makes sense that that word wouldn't necessarily come true, but I can think of examples, and you probably can as well, of people who have received prophetic words like, okay, that's true, I'm gonna go right now and I'm gonna rent this stadium right now and I'm gonna do this right now. And then they're bankrupt a little bit, you know, or, or, or a lot, or, or, you know, it doesn't quite work out or, you know, they get up to speak and they're no good yet or, you know, different, different, you know, those are simple things, but you've seen people push ahead of what God's actually doing. There's biblical examples of that. There's practical examples that I'm sure you can think of. Well, then what's the answer? Is if resting on your laurels, are you, okay, are you just supposed to rest in God's presence and he's going to make it happen? Well, sometimes, but maybe sometimes not. Are you supposed to go and, you know, take that as, as permission and go and make that happen? Well, sometimes not. What's, what's the answer? I'm going to see, see if I can give you a little bit of that. But first I want to tell you a story um, to give you an example of why I think it is very, very, very important that you learn to follow the voice of God in your life. And this is one of those parts where the roller coaster starts heading down, just so that you know that, just to preempt you. How many of you have ever heard of Horace Wells before? Not a super famous guy. He um, was a dentist in the mid-1800s which is not a very fun job to be in the mid-1800s because there's no anesthetic and, you know, right. you just get to use a hammer and pliers and that's, <laughs> that's how dentistry works. This tooth seems bad, let's you know, get rid of that, um, which is you know, not a very fun thing to do. And so he noticed that and he noticed, hey, this isn't the greatest thing in the world. And through experimentation, he discovered that this particular gas called nitrous oxide, or as it's commonly called nowadays, laughing gas, um, could be administered to a patient and they wouldn't feel any pain. He actually kind of discovered it by accident. He was doing some experiments, the thing, you know, cracked open and a guy was br breathed some in, fell over, hurt his knee, and he ran over. He's like, buddy, your knee doesn't look too good. And he said, are you okay? He's like, oh, I'm totally fine. It doesn't hurt at all. And his knee was like, you know, <laughs> 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 uh, I think it <laughs> there's something wrong with it. <laughs> um, he discovered that this stuff could actually make you not feel pain for a short time. And at the time, there was really no anesthetic anywhere. You know, it's the, it's the Bugs Bunny cartoon, bop you on the head, you know, kind of thing before surgery. Um, <laughs> and so he starts doing some tests and experiments to discover, hey, this, does this stuff really make you not feel pain? Does it really limit the pain that you feel during these things? And he figured out, hey, yeah, if I do this stuff and I can pull someone's teeth and do dental work and it doesn't hurt them at all, this is amazing, this is revolutionary, there is nothing like this anywhere, I'm gonna go present this to my colleagues. And so at, at a uh, prominent college, he gets together a group of his peers to review, to do a demonstration of his new amazing pain-free dentistry, is what he called it. 
So he gets up there to demonstrate. They have the panel of people to watch him. They have the volunteer patient. And we don't really know exactly what happened, if he was a little bit nervous. The interesting thing about nitrous oxide using it as an anesthetic is that it's one of the good things about it, actually, is that as soon as you remove the gas, the effects of it go away very quickly. And so maybe he pulled the gas away a little bit too quickly. Maybe he didn't use quite enough. Maybe he was just nervous and made a small mistake. Whatever the situation was, he administered the gas. Something happened. He pulled the person's tooth, and he screamed horribly. <laughs> <laughs> and all of his colleagues laughed at him, yelled at him, booed him, yelled charlatan, charlatan, because it's the 1800s and that's what you yell. <laughs> and he is so embarrassed by this. He is so uh, crushed by this failure that he gets super depressed. He quits dentistry, quits everything, becomes a door-to-door -door salesman, and you know, moves away, is just completely crushed by this failure. And he just gets really depressed, gets addicted to chloroform and other exciting drugs. And then, sorry, this just keeps going down for a little while, just so you know. <laughs> just so you know. Gets addicted to drugs, goes a little bit crazy and attacks some women on the street in a drug-fueled rage. Goes to jail and then talks the guard into letting him back to his house to get some stuff and commit suicide because he's so depressed by this. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Just a little bit lower before we, <laughs> before we pull up. And you know what happened? Someone else discovered that nitrous oxide could be used during dentistry and completely separate from any of his work and got all the credit for it. <laughs> it wasn't until several years later, they, uh, it was, uh, you know, he did that test in 1844, it was in 1863 that someone else discovered it. It wasn't until the, I believe the 1930s that the, the son of the person who got credit for the discovery, and he did discover it independently, um, the son of that person actually added some posthumous credit to, to Horace Wells because he found out that he had actually discovered it first. But it wasn't until 1930 that even he got any credit for this thing. <laughs> and I, I, I share that story with you because it's very easy to see in retrospect, man, if he had just tried again, it probably would have worked. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> if he had just gotten over that really embarrassing, really, you know, Really, it's easy to see how that would hurt. It's easy to see how that would be embarrassing. But man, if he just given it a second try, <laughs> he, it, maybe it would have been fine. I believe that as children of God, we are designed to live life glory to glory. <laughs> and I believe if we are not living our life from glory to glory, that it actually makes us sick. <laughs> that it actually makes us not not satisfied with our life because we're not supposed to live anything less than from glory to glory to glory. <laughs> there is that little two in the middle that sometimes happens. <laughs> but it's meant all of those little twos in between the glories are meant to lead to more glory. <laughs> you know? I, I want to read you that real quick this um, quote from C.S. Lewis that really uh, applies to this situation. Um, it goes like this. It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. <laughs> it would be much harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We are like eggs at present, and you cannot go on indefinitely just being an ordinary, decent egg. 
You must be hatched or go bad. We're designed to live glory to glory. We're designed to be continually growing. We're designed to be successful. We're designed to have victories. There are moments that we have valleys. There are moments where we have failures. There are moments where things don't work out quite right. But those are actually designed to lead directly into an even greater victory. You know what I mean? And we, there's tons, there's so many, there's so many biographies, there's so many stories of people that have been in these situations that have been at the very bottom of their life, that have been down in the dumps and, you know, risen to amazing things. There are so many stories of people who had everything, who had an amazing time, lost everything, but then came back. You know, there's so many stories of how we're designed to live, every single one of us in our own area, in our own way. And we cannot find what it looks like for us to live from glory to glory unless we are led by the Holy Spirit. Unless we are led there by him. Because otherwise, there's too many pitfalls. There's too many pitfalls of, well, that person's living in glory, so I will do what they're doing. Oh, wait, I'm not built to do what they're doing. You might look at someone and be like, man, that's what glory looks like. That's what, that's what being in his favor looks like. That's what being in victory looks like. And then you try and it doesn't work and it doesn't work and it doesn't work. There's one of the two things. That's probably because it's not you. And let me tell you a really big secret that most of you have to trust me on. I've had friends who have actually walked through this. Even if you get the same success that that person has, if that's not the glory that you're built for, it's really not going to make you that happy. You're not really going to be that satisfied by it. You're not really going to be that thrilled that that thing happened. <laughs> this is a bit of a side note, but I, especially in uh, the Western world, we have this perspective of like, you know, if you take an organization or a company, the CEO is the most important person and everyone else is less important <laughs> because the CEO has the most power, he makes the most money, he's the, the big boss guy, you know. We view the world in a pyramid structure of there is the most important and then everyone else going down, you know? That's not really how it works in God's kingdom because when I, when I see in the spirit, when I see an angel that's been appointed to be in charge of a city and I see an angel that's been appointed to be a guardian over a children's ministry of three toddlers, <laughs> one angel does not look more satisfied than the other, <laughs> One angel does not look more intent than the other. One angel does not look more invested in its area than the other. Because in the kingdom, the most important place that you can be is where God puts you. <laughs> in the kingdom, the most valued place you can be is where his love has led you. <laughs> and we trick ourselves. We, co we compare ourselves. We, we believe lies about what important is about what valuable is. And so what I'm saying is it's very difficult for us to figure out what glory to glory looks like for us, especially if we're comparing to other people, because it just doesn't work. And you may be saying, Blake, you keep removing options of how to do this. <laughs> when are you going to start adding some? All right, so I, I want you to turn here. I'm not going to read completely through this story because it is a story that we're very, very familiar with. Um, 
But I, I would encourage you to read through this afterwards just with a few different lenses on. Um, but it's the Luke 15, verse 11, is where the story starts. And most people call this the, the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, these days, I like calling it the parable of the two lost sons. So we know the story. We've probably heard this a thousand times. I, I was a missionary kid and a pastor's kid, so I have heard this story approximately 5,000 times. <laughs> it may not be an exaggeration, I'm not sure, but I've, I have heard it quite a few times. And quite, I've seen the cartoon, I've seen the movie, I've, you know, I've, I've read the book, There's, I've heard this story a lot. Um, I wanna look at this story with a little bit of a different lens, and I wanna look at this story as an example of how to grow in the kingdom of God how to succeed, how to pursue promotion in the kingdom of God. Because again, when we talk about glory to glory, one of the ways, another way to look at that is promotion, is, is success in the kingdom. Well, what does that look like when we're not supposed to have a love of money, but we're supposed to be prosperous? What does that look like when we're supposed to be humble, but we're also supposed to be kings and priests? What, what does that look like? So we know the story. There was a man who, has, who had two sons. And one son became dissatisfied with his current situation. He went to his father and said, hey, I would like my inheritance now. I would like all, the, all that I'm due for being your son right now. Now, culturally at the time, this was a pretty harsh thing to do. This was basically him saying, you are dead to me. I want your stuff. <laughs> Which, you know, wouldn't be a nice thing to say to your dad. <laughs> um, it's saying, I don't see any value in the relationship that this, that this situation represents. I only see value in the, the monetary value of, that this situation represents. And so we know the story. He, he, the father gives it to him. He gives him his inheritance. He takes that inheritance, and he goes and spends it on wine, women, and song. <laughs> you know, he, he lives it up. He... He has a good old time for, you know, like eight minutes. <laughs> it doesn't really say exactly how long it was. It doesn't really say, doesn't really say exactly what his intent was. It just says that he went and he blew all that money. Some time goes by, he blows all that money. All of his friends don't seem so friendly anymore now that he doesn't have, you know, pockets full of sunshine. <laughs> and he goes and, you know we, know, we know the story, he goes and works for a man to feed the pigs, and he's so hungry, he's so desperate that even the pig's food looks good, and he says, man, even the servants at my fa in my father's house eat, eat better than this. I know that I have given up my right as a son, which, again, that's what he had done. He had said, I'm no longer your son, you're dead to me. I'm severing this relationship and just getting what I can out of it. I have given up my right to be in his house, but I'm gonna go back and try to be a servant in his house. And again, we know this story. The father is waiting for him. The father throws the coat over him. The father puts the ring on his finger. The father invites him back in and says, you belong with me. You belong with me. Come, let's have a party. Let's celebrate. My son was dead, but now he's alive again. And that statement means even more because that that's what the decision that that son has made was to, for them to be dead to each other. And so it goes on. And then there's the older brother who is working in the field, realizes that there's a party going on, and gets really steamed. <laughs> he says, 
The father comes out to meet him. He won't even come to the party. He's so angry. And he says, I have never disobeyed you. I have always been good to you. I've always worked for you. And you've never even given me anything. You've never given me a party like this. And you're going to celebrate this guy who betrayed you, who threw away all your money. And I, you know what, let's read this last part because this one's, this one's a key that a lot of people do walk, walk past sometimes. We'll just go with, uh, if you're with me, it's Luke 15. We'll hit uh, verse 29. It says, But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, underline, <laughs> comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Verse 31 is one of the biggest keys because it underlines something that I mentioned that bothers me. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. We have two sons that missed what was available from their father. <laughs> Sometimes with promotion in the kingdom, sometimes with getting all the good that God promises us. If we have an attitude of this belongs to me so I can do whatever I want with it, we set ourselves up for failure with something that does belong to us. He was asking for something that by right belonged to him. That inheritance, that money that he asked for legally and spiritually and by, by the laws at the time did belong to him. He just asked for it too soon. He asked for it when he wasn't ready, when he wasn't able to steward it well. And what was the result? He wasn't able to steward it and he lost it all. I don't know, you know, the story isn't, isn't super detailed on this front, but we don't really know if he, his plan was to go blow all that money right away. Maybe that's just how it happened, you know? Maybe he just, whoopsie daisy, I spent all the money. You know? It's very easy for us to receive a blessing from God, to, to learn our identity in Christ, to learn how glorious a future God has planned for us, how much he loves us, and what that love means for how we're supposed to interact with the world and the people around us. And to receive amazing prophetic words, amazing true prophetic words about the great things that you'll do, the, the people that you'll lead to the Lord, the, the victories that you'll have. But God isn't interested in bippity-boppity-booing you into that person. <laughs> He's interested in growing and maturing you into a person for whom all those words make perfect sense. <laughs> You ever get a prophetic word and you're like, you gotta be kidding me, there's no way that could happen. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm gonna be very honest, sometimes I'm giving prophetic words and I'm like, no, no way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> this is a stretch, God. I'm gonna say it because obedience, but whew. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and I've been amazed. I have been amazed by what God can do. <laughs> 
He wants to grow, mature, and teach you into a person for whom those words make perfect sense. Of course they're doing that. Of course they've got a stadium of people. Of course they've led this many people to the Lord. Of course they're running that huge business. Of course they're the president now. <laughs> you know? He wants to grow you into that person. And when we, when we make the mistake of thinking the positions, the power, and the authority that God is going to give us is what's valuable about our relationship with him, we sabotage our ability to receive the gifts that God is giving to us. Usually by asking for them before we're ready to receive them. Or demanding them or going after them before we receive them. And then the double thing happens where we think that, oh God, why didn't you do this for me? God's not interested in, as I said, bippity-boppity-booing you into that transformed person. Because even in Cinderella, that whole thing ended at midnight. <laughs> you know? I, I have friends, I know people who <laughs> grew real fast <laughs> and had a lot of success real fast. <laughs> a lot of favor really fast. And I would say more, more of them have had a really, really hard time with that than have had an easy time with it. You only need to look at our culture of, of movie stars and, and pop stars and things like that to see how challenging really fast success is. You don't only need to look at our professional sports world for a few minutes to see how challenging it is to go to have a very young person get a lot of money really quickly. It's not because they're bad people. It's because that's a really hard situation to be put in. That's a very, very challenging, that's a lot of weight to have set on your shoulders when you're 19, 20, you know, some much younger than that. And it's hard. But there's also another brother who was with God, who stayed with the Father, but missed what the relationship actually was with him. Missed that, oh, I could have asked for that at any time. I thought I had to work for it. I thought I was earning it. I thought I was building up to the character so that I would be allowed to have those gifts, which is just as destructive and ended up in just as much disconnection as the other brother. <laughs> Looks real pretty, though. <laughs> Looks real nice from the outside. <laughs> but it's just as destructive. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We need to be bold enough to ask for the things that God's promised to us. We need to be bold enough to believe and take a risk and step out on the things that God's promised us. Not too soon, but not too late either. I know I'm, I'm giving you an oxymoron. I know I'm giving you a, a, an impossible situation. But thankfully, you serve the God of the impossible. <laughs> Both brothers made the exact same mistake and thankfully are a very good example of the exact same solution. <laughs> they misunderstood the relationship that they had with their father. <laughs> one thought he had to earn it. One thought that only the material, only the, the tangible value 
was what was worthwhile. <laughs> so the solution is very, very, very simple. <laughs> when you get a prophetic word, should you jump to try to make it happen right away? <laughs> should you sit back and wait and rest and just wait for to be invited? <laughs> the answer is neither. You should earnestly, fervently, and passionately seek the face of your father. <laughs> You should make relationship with him the number one priority of your entire life. The absolute focus. And I, I, I will warn you right now, you will have to fight both sides of this coin for the rest of your life. Because the enemy will desperately try to push you into performance where, oh, you, know, you have to earn this and you have to get that. You know, you have to, well, maybe once, you know, this isn't working. Well, maybe once my character is this way or maybe once, like, no, it's a free gift. <laughs> And then maybe you'll, he'll, try to, he'll try to push you and fishtail you into entitlement of, well, this is mine. I don't, why should I have to work for this? Why should I have to serve for this? Why should I have to tithe for, tithe for this? Why should this, that, the other thing? <laughs> both equally destructive. Both with nuggets of truth in them. <laughs> but both missing the key component, which is relationship. <laughs> relationship. There isn't a formula. There isn't, it's always right to push and it's always right to just sit back and serve. I've, for, for two people in the exact same situation with the exact same history, the answers could be completely different, <laughs> you know? It's something we have to walk out day by day, moment by moment, with our peers, with our leaders, with our friends, but mostly with our Father, <laughs> you know? It's the only way that we can be led from glory to glory. It's the only way that we can know what that glory that we're being led to even is. And it's the only way that that glory will be satisfying when we get there. <laughs> because honestly, what you'll realize as you continue to pursue his face is that all that stuff, no matter how great it is, only serves to accent the beauty of relationship with him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So I want to I tell you one more story um, that, that I feel, again, just underlines the, just the importance of engaging with this process, the importance of living a victorious life. Because the solution that most of us, I think, end up with is whether we're the one who has pushed too hard and had some burnouts or has held back and served so long that we actually grew bitter and entitled in a completely different way. <laughs> a, better, a better looking way, right? <laughs> Just a different way. <laughs> um, the, usually the result, it's different for everyone. <laughs> sometimes it's after 10 years, sometimes it's after 20 years, sometimes it's after 50 years, is we just get into this stasis. Well, well right here doesn't hurt very much, <laughs> so I'm just gonna stay here. <laughs> Right here doesn't feel too risky, so I'm just going to stay right here. If you ever have that feeling, <laughs> you're, you know you're getting stuck. <laughs> and let me tell you why it's important not to get stuck. We've already talked a little bit about how it's good for you personally and how it's valuable for you personally. But I want to tell you why you being successful and you moving from glory to glory is valuable for everyone else. <laughs> So I, um, when I first moved to Atlanta, um, I did three years of school of ministry in Reading at the, uh, at the Bethel School of Ministry there. 
And after graduating, I was part of a team that was sent to Atlanta to start a church and a school there. And so, yeah, it was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we first moved there. We're a little house church. We're just figuring everything out. And so I'm, I'm working in the, uh, the meat department at a big, big box store. And so I'm driving there every day, and I'm working and, you know, cleaning the meat counter and everything. That's real exciting stuff. And <laughs> I am... So I'm there one night, one day, you know, we get there real early and they get everything ready and we're done around, you know, two, one or two or so. And I'm the last person there and I'm cleaning up and, you know, cleaning up all the meat stuffs and getting everything nice and sanitized because I care about your health. And <laughs> um, I'm doing all of that. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I got done a little bit early. Everything was clean. Everything's ready to go. So I'm doing all the little extra stuff, you know, making sure the windows look good, all that kind of thing. And and so, you know, I got plenty of time left, though, so I'm just, you know, doing it nice and relaxed and thinking and just talking to the Holy Spirit, and I'm just having a casual conversation with the Holy Spirit, and I just have this thought occur to me. I'm looking through this window at this meat counter, and there's tons of people going shopping and doing their thing. I'm like, man, there's a lot of people in the world. You ever just have that thought at some point? Yeah. Like, there are so many people in the world. There just keeps being more people. <laughs> Like, uh, right, I was looking. I was like looking it up at the time. Like, man, there's all, there's seven billion people in the world, and this little counter thing just keeps going. I don't know who's tracking this thing, but it's just going. <laughs> there's so many people. Now, I, I, as I mentioned before, I've seen the spirit for as long as I can remember. I've seen the spirit. My, my first memories are seeing angels, and for as long as I can remember, I've, every single person I've ever met has a personal angel. Now, this is what a lot of people would call a guardian angel. Um, I call them personal angels because they do a lot more than guard you. They intercede with you. They pray with you. They, they bless you. They worship with you. They do also protect you. So they're more than guardian angels. They're like super awesome personal assistants. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I call them personal angels. <laughs> um, and I'm like, man, every single person I've ever met has a personal angel. And as I've just discussed, there's like seven billion people in the world, and that number just keeps on going, you know. Does every single person have their own individual angel? And like, you know, what happens when someone dies? Do they like, you know, rotate out? Do like, <laughs> <laughs> they get like a five-year break or something? Or, <laughs> you know, or is it like, man, that one was rough. Can I have like a, you know, <laughs> give me an easy one. <laughs> You know, how does, how does this work? I'm just having those, you know, cheesy questions, cheesy te technical questions. <laughs> heaven's, heaven's logistics. <laughs> Where's that? Where's that manual, you know? And I'm just thinking about that, and I'm looking at all the people in front of me, and every single one of them has a personal angel, and this, this dude walks up to the meat counter, and he's looking at the steaks. And he's got a personal angel, and it's just this angel wearing a blue robe, very simple, you know, kind of yellowish hair, blue robe, and... Um, it's just, you know, following him around as he's looking, looking at the stakes. Like, you know, how does this work? Do, like, do they get to pick which person they go with? Are they assigned? <laughs> and as I have these thoughts going through my mind, his angel turns and looks me in the eye. <laughs> like, did I say something <laughs> offensive? <laughs> <laughs> now, most of the time, I, it wasn't until I was 22 years old that I had even heard an angel speak to me directly. I... Most of the time when I see angels, they're very intent on what they're doing. They're very focused on whatever assignment they have. And so they ignore me completely, which is a little rude, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I have this thought, and his angel turns and looks me straight in the eye. And as soon as he did that, I had this vision flash through my head. And 
I'm going to tell you the whole thing. This happened in about five seconds, though. But it was a lot all at once. And so I'm looking at this angel, and I see a picture. I see a woman in a hospital, and she's, she's having a baby. And, you know, the, and, and this angel in the blue robe is standing next to her. And the baby comes out, and it gets carried over to the little, you know, baby heat lamp thing. And <laughs> wh whatever it's called, <laughs> the incubator, the incubator, <laughs> thank you, the baby incubator. <laughs> and uh, the angel walks with the baby to the, to the incubator, and it's a little baby girl. And this entire baby girl's life flashes in front of my eyes. I see... I see her growing up. I see her at her house. I see the angel with her every single step of the way. I see the angel with her when her dad comes home uh, having drinking too much, and the angel helps hide her when he starts throwing things around. I see the angel whispering to her when her parents are in a fight and yelling at each other and shouting. I see the angel go with her to school when other kids are making fun of her because she's got holes in her shoes and her shirt is, you know, three sizes too big. I see the angel with her when she starts coming home later and later and sneaking off because she just doesn't want to be at her house anymore. I see the angel with her the first time she uses drugs with her friend to try to just make the pain go away. I see the angel go with her when she finally decides to run away from her house. I see the angel with her as she gets more and more hungry as the days go by. And I see the angel still with her the first time that she sells herself just to be able to eat. And I see this life go through boom, 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 one thing after another until it gets to the end. And I see the angel with her when she's in an alleyway on a rainy night and there's a man on top of her and he's strangling her. And I see the angel standing over this woman as this is happening, and I see this darkness encroaching in. And the angel has a sword in one hand, and it's fighting back this darkness. And I, and I, I, I still, to this day, haven't seen anything fight for anything quite that hard. But the, as vicious and as, as strong as this angel was fighting, the darkness kind of came in and it blackened out my picture for a second and when it came back, the girl was dead. And then it changed and I saw another hospital room with another mom who was giving birth. Baby came out, went over to the incubator and <laughs> gotta lighten it up somehow for a second. <laughs> um, and this time it was a baby boy. And the angel followed this baby boy. And the angel went with this baby boy everywhere that he went. And I saw the angel with him when he was brought home to all these excited relatives and all these excited friends and family. I watched the angel with him when his dad would carry him around and bounce him on his knee. I watched the angel with him as his parents would play ball with him and you know, chase him around the house. I saw the angel with him as Christmases went by and Easter and all the different things. And I watched the angel with him as... He would sit on his dad's lap as he was working and his dad would talk to him about the stuff that he was doing. And I saw day after day this man, this young man grow into the man who was standing in front of me. And so all that happened in about five seconds and there was 
there's more detail, but you know, you get, you get the idea. And then after there was like this shift and I was still seeing a vision. I, now I'm, I'm, the way I would describe this is I'm, I'm seeing this in my mind's eye, but it's very, very vivid. It's very, very clear. I'm, you know, I'm still aware of the meat counter and the window thing and that I'm just staring at this dude um, <laughs> through the window. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, I try not to be weird with this stuff, but it just happens sometimes. <laughs> and... <laughs> And so it's, I'm aware of all that, but it's like the vision is more present in my mind. You know, it's like when you are daydreaming or like you're more focused on what's going on in your head than what's in front of you kind of thing, but you're still aware of what's coming in front of you, just for clarity's sake. So it shifts gears, and instead of being like all this information really, really quickly, it feels like it's running in real time. You know, it feels like it's running as fast as it would if it were happening. And I see this young man in front of me, but I see him outside in downtown Atlanta, and I see him in a, driving his car. His angels, the angel in the wearing the blue is sitting in the passenger seat. And he comes to a stoplight. It's red. He stops. It's a rainy night. And the light turns green. And the angel reaches over and puts his hand on the guy's chest. And the guy leans forward to kind of hit the gas to go, but then just stops. And he's even got this look on his face like he doesn't know why he's stopping. And the angel with his other hand points down an alleyway. And so again, really looking confused as to why he's doing this, he, he pulls over, parks the car, gets out and walks down the alleyway. He walks a few feet in there and then he sees a dead prostitute on the street in the alleyway. I see the angel in the blue robe standing with the man as he approaches the woman. And I see the angel in the blue robe standing with the woman as the man walks up. The angel makes eye contact with itself, and the angel that's standing with the woman disappears. And so again, this guy is just like, you can tell he's compelled to do something, but he just doesn't know what he's doing. He leans over, checks for a pulse, nothing, rests his hand on her chest right here, and immediately the woman takes in a deep breath and sits up. And then he helps her up, you know, puts her in the passenger seat of the car, gets in the car and drives off, and the angel wearing blue gets in the back seat and drives away. And so, like I, like I indicated, that, that last part felt different. It, it happened at a different pace. It felt like a gear shift when I went into that spot. So I look this angel in the eye and I say, was that something that happened or, or something that's going to happen? You know, what, what was that? You know, was that, was that, did that, did that already happen? Is that, is that later tonight? Is that, is that going to happen? And the angel looks me straight in the eye, gives kind of a <laughs> resigned <laughs> smile and said two words to me that even to this day, when I, when I think about the way that he said this to me, it just echoes in my soul. I said, is this something that's going to happen? And the angel looks me in the eyes again and says, it could.
could. <laughs> the Bible tells us that all creation groans for the manifest sons of God to be revealed. <laughs> it's so important that you learn to live from glory to glory and that you get every bit of inheritance that Jesus won for you on the cross. Because there are problems that you are the only solution for. <laughs> there are people <laughs> that you are the only person who will carry salvation to them. <laughs> there are situations that you hold the only answer to. <laughs> And I'm telling you, those situations are waiting now. <laughs> now I, I want to encourage you, because that is, that is not to make you feel guilty for not doing something. Because, <laughs> believe me, there's, there's too much. <laughs> there's too much going on. <laughs> we, we do a, uh, with our school of ministry, we do a homeless ministry, and we go out to this real... Um, populated part of the city, <laughs> and there's so many homeless people. It's, it, you just go there for five minutes and you will get saved all over again. There are, there are families out, full families of, with four kids sitting there out on the street desperate, you know, using trash to keep their babies warm. You know, it's, it's real heartbreaker stuff. And, but there's hundreds, there's hundreds of them there. There's hundreds of them all over the city. There's hundreds of them all over the world. And so is the solution that we all just run out into the city and grab everybody? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe that's part of it. But maybe just running out and doing that will be trying to grab our inheritance before it's ready and we get burned out. <laughs> so again, what is the solution? <laughs> we have to become more acquainted with the face of our Father. <laughs> we have to grow into deeper, more personal relationship with him. Because otherwise, how can we know when it's time to pull over the car? <laughs> how can we know when it's time to stop for that one? <laughs> how can we know when it's time to decide between do I make it to my daughter's ballet recital or do I help this dude with a flat tire on the side of the road? How do we know? <laughs> the only way that we know is by becoming more acquainted with the face of God. <laughs> Because if we are acquainted with his face, we can listen to what he's saying. And if we can listen to what he's saying and make his voice the most prominent voice in our lives, we'll know when it's time to do the thing we don't want to do. <laughs> Whether it's because it's our ballet, daughter's ballet recital or I'm just real awkward with talking with strangers. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or when it's time, hey, it's okay, I got that one. There's someone right behind you who's going to stop for him and do exactly, and I've called that person to do that. But also, we don't want to use that as an excuse to not stop. I'm not leaving any even ground, just so you know. <laughs> because it's not meant to be even ground, because there's not an answer. There's not an answer. And it's, this is hard, and this is a little bit harsh, but we, we, we can't afford to keep giving excuses to not do what God's called us to do. Good ones or bad ones, <laughs> you know? Because, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. I've, I've read about, I've studied, and I've seen too many ministers 
burn out their own life and burn out their family, their relationship with their family in the pursuit of going after the more of God. I don't think that's God's plan. But I've also seen so many people become so comfortable with not pursuing the things of God that they that a whole plethora of glory just passes them by. And the Bible talks about that, you know. It talks about the virgins with the with the lamps and some had oil and some did not. You know, sometimes people equate that to, to the rapture and the end times and things like that. And I, you know, that's that's good, but I also think that's tomorrow. <laughs> I think that's do we it's not are you good enough, it's not are you bold enough, it's not are you an evangelist enough, it's do we have enough of the Holy Spirit's oil to be able to light the way to what should I do? <laughs> you know? And I, I, I'm going to keep doubling back because it, it, this, this aspect of it is very important because there's two brothers. This isn't like, well, okay, then I need to work real hard and serve and, get to, and serve my way into having oil in my lamp because that's not how it works. <laughs> you, know, you, you catching what I'm saying? It's all about relationship. The last thing I'll say in, in wrapping up this part is if you're honest with yourself right now, we're all at a different spot of relationship with God. And first of all, I want you to feel very okay with that. <laughs> because the enemy will use shame at, I'm not close enough to God, to keep you from closer, being closer to God, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Let's not do that, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, I can be so ashamed about that I'm not closer to God that I don't go closer to him. That's that's bad plan. Let's not do that. <laughs> not efficient plan. He's He's accounted for every single thing and is ready for the moment that you will fully engage with him. <laughs> and I want you to be so comfortable starting with where you're at. If you just have to spend the next five weeks just taking five minutes before you go to bed and saying, God, what do you have to say to me, and hearing nothing, that's good. <laughs> that is okay. That is victory. <laughs> because you're standing and waiting <laughs> for oil to be filled. <laughs> You're saying, hey, God, I'm okay with being the kindergartner and letting you teach me. Right. I'm okay with being a toddler right now. So my, my senior le leader uh, of uh, Bethel, Bethel Atlanta is uh, Steve Hale. He's a really awesome guy. He, he's an amazing story. He was a very successful in his area of business. God called him to come to ministry school out in Reading, and he took a very, very big hit in his career just to take the time away from focusing on that to to go after this thing that God, God led him to. And um, you know, he'd been deeply involved in church, had a good relationship with God, had a great family. You know, it, it, it was not, it didn't seem like it was necessary. But he heard God say something and he did it. And he was on the prayer line praying for people as, as a student. And this person came up to him and, you know, for healing and said, well, you know, I hurt my pinky. <laughs> and you know, it really, really, you know, it hurts. <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> I'll pray for that. Praise for it, it gets completely healed, the pain goes away completely. Awesome. Next person in line, a couple, couple minutes later, comes up. Hey, I, you know, I jammed my pinky a few weeks ago, and it just isn't, it just hasn't stopped hurting, you know? It just keeps hurting. Pray for the person, boom, get completely healed. <laughs> He's feeling on a roll now. Third person comes up, <laughs> yep, it's a pinky. <laughs> <laughs> Praise for it, they don't get healed. (laughs) (laughs) 
person walks away, he prays a couple times, he says, God, what was up with that? <laughs> and what's up with the pinkies? <laughs> <laughs> and the Holy Spirit says, I'm taking you to the kindergarten of healing. <coughs> and Steve said, all right, I'll go. <laughs> we have to be willing to become a novice again. <laughs> we have to be willing to become like a little child. We have to be willing to not be that great at something. <laughs> so that we can get really good at it. We have to be okay. I, I, you know, I understand. I, I don't like doing things I'm not good at. <laughs> if I'm not good at it in five minutes, if at first you don't succeed, try something else. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, bad advice, don't actually do that. But <laughs> I stole that one from a friend. But um, <laughs> it's, This is one that is worth trying for the rest of your life. And if you're not finding success, then find someone who is having success and partner with them. Have them pray for you. Find a group of people to practice with. I, you'll hear me say this a lot if you're around me for more than 10 minutes. I've, I've been involved in prophetic ministry for most of my life now. And you know I, I love healing. I love evangelism. I love salvation. I love the teaching of the word. I, I absolutely adore every single one of those things. But I, I, I cannot think of a more tangible and a more real expression of the love of God than the idea that God would want to sit down and talk with every single one of us individually. And, and because of that, I can think of few tragedies greater than the idea that we would go through our entire Christian life missing out on that simply because we don't know how to listen to him. You know? So I'm badgering you with this because it's so worth it. It's so worth it for you. It's so worth it for those people that you don't know yet. It's so worth it for those people that you do know. It's so worth it for those impossible situations because you have the God of the impossible who is I'm gonna hit this one more time just because I wanna nail this all the way into the ground and then like pass the ground and then bury it and then put another one on top and nail that one down. <laughs> um, you have a God that it was so important to him that you understand how available he wanted to make himself to you that he sent his son to die to seal the deal. <laughs> This is just a, th a thought experiment, so don't get too theologically angry at me. Thought experiment. But do you think that God needed to send Jesus to die to cover all of our sins? Do you think that was the only way that an infinite God could atone, could atone for the sins of his people? He's God, he could do whatever he wants, right? He, he decided to give something that cost him to show how much he wanted intimacy and connection and closeness with you. He chose something that would cost him so that he would know how valuable being alone in a room with you without sin being the elephant in the room was. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I believe that if we want to step into the fullness of what that sacrifice means, that we learn to push past our hangups, push past those hard moments, push past our failures, push past those times where I just didn't really get anything and step into the relationship that is available with God. 
It's just like anything. <laughs> anyone has ever tried to get a date with someone? Anyone ever tried to do that at some point in their lives? <laughs> it's hard, it's not fun. I'm glad that I'm married just so I don't have to worry about that ever again. <laughs> it, <laughs> great that my wife is also incredible and awesome, but man, I never have to ask anyone on a date ever again. <laughs> that is so great. <laughs> it's, and it's okay if you're at the stage with God right now where it's like a first date where it's kind of awkward and it feels weird, and I don't know if, you're, if this is like the right way to talk to you or not, or if I'm going to scare you away, or <laughs> if I'm talking too much or talking too little, or this is not interesting, you know. <laughs> the, the metaphor goes further than you might think. I mean, it works, <laughs> but... It's, it's okay if you're there. Push through it, push past it, and get what's on the other side. Because the alternative is that, is that it makes us sick. <laughs> We're built for this stuff. We are designed for a relationship with God. <laughs> we are designed for a relationship with God. And anything less than that is, makes us sick. And so I, I'm going to leave you with one quote, one more quote from uh, Albert Einstein. <laughs> so this, this is a good quote. The world as we have created it is a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. If, if your relationship with God isn't how you want it to be, if your life is not the way that you'd like it to be, if your relationship with your daughter, with your friend, with your son, with your neighbor, with your cat, with your parents, whatever it is, is not the way that you want it to be, that means someone needs to change and you're only in control of you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, I want to pray for you guys real quick. Um, so if everyone would stand up real, real quick. We're going to do lots of ministry over this weekend, and we're going to pray for you guys and prophesy, prophesy over you guys, but just for the, for the uh, initiation into this weekend, I really would like to just take a couple of minutes and just spend some alone time with God, <laughs> which I realize is tricky when you're completely surrounded by people. Um, it's actually a really good place to practice, because it's one of the best skills that you can develop is focusing completely on him. And I'm going to pray for you guys. I'm going to bless you. And like I said, we're going to do a lot of ministry over this, over this weekend. But I just really want to make this investment of challenging every single person in this room. And this is a challenge that I, I need to remind myself and refresh myself on regularly. We do live in a world where you can get the best Christian speakers in the world in your house for free. We live in a, and that's awesome. That is so cool. I love that so much. I, I love Bethel TV. I love all the podcasts that everyone does. I, I love all the streams that are available. And that's so awesome. That is so cool. That is so valuable. That is such an ad. H however, it's so important that in, in a world like that and, and in a world where we go to church and hear amazing people speak and where we go to conferences and hear amazing people, it's so important to take personal responsibility for our relationship with God to not just live off of the, the, the fruit that others have found, but to find it ourselves. That we will still receive that fruit. And I will, I will, my phone is full of podcasts and my, my internet bill is going high because of all of the streaming. You know, it's, it's, that stuff is so good. 
However, there's so much value in saying, I am responsible for this. <laughs> I will take responsibility for this. So I'm going to pray for you for a little bit. If you, if you want to continue standing, that's great. If you want to sit down, if you want to lay down, that's great. And after I pray, we're just going to stay here for a little while. I don't want, and again, I'm not going to like give you the stink eye if you got to run out, out real quick because your babysitter is like <laughs> getting more expensive by the minute. Um, this isn't about right now. This is about forever, <laughs> you know. But if you do want to hang out for a little bit and just stay there and sit there and lay there, that's, that's great too. Um, I would encourage you just to stay until you feel uh, a pause in what God's doing. Whether you hear that audibly, whether you are in an actual conversation, or whether it just kind of feels, whether you just feel it the way that you feel a pause in a song, you know. <coughs> Learning how to hear his voice is, is a very complicated thing, but it's also extremely simple. It's just his presence, his being there, and you learning how to cooperate and interact with him just being there. So God, I thank you so much for all these people, Lord. I thank you for their hunger. I thank you for their desire to get to know you better, to get closer to you. I thank you that they're willing to be challenged to go after them after the depths of your heart, to go after the depths of your love. And right now I just release a blessing on every single one of them. I release eyes to hear, I mean, eyes to see, and ears to hear. I release a mind that can be confounded and attracted by the mysteries of God. I release a heart that can understand the, un the ununderstandable, that can discern the undiscernible, that can see the unseeable, that can know the unknowable, that can take all the complexities and intricacies of a relationship with an infinite being and make it the most simple and relatable thing in the world. I release every single person Yes, I want them. 
Yes, I want that one. He already chose you. You don't have anything to prove. And you never did.
we've got five minutes in the kitchen while we're cooking to talk and connect and say I love you. If I decide that that five minutes isn't enough and don't take advantage of it and don't engage, I'm actually sabotaging into free intimacy that's available in my relationship. Same is true with God. If there's a day you just have five minutes and that's it, don't say that that's not enough. Don't say that he'll be disappointed by that. Don't say that you won't get anything. Doing five minutes a day will lead you to that hours a day way faster than nothing at all. And spending those two hours with him, three hours with him, teach you how to pull those nuggets out of five minutes. So whether you can stay for five minutes or whether you can stay for longer, just remain in the spot. separate those two and realize that the real value is in who God has made not in what you're doing for him and I feel like for some of you the revelation is who he's made you to be and who 
who you're allowed to be on the earth, what authority you're allowed to carry because of what he has made you to be and who he sees you as. So having these conversations with God tonight, and as we sleep tonight, listen for him to start speaking those words of identity of who you are. Remember, it's not having done those things. It's not having fulfilled those words that makes you that person. It's the power of his love and his voice that makes you that person. That makes you a person for whom those titles make perfect sense. And the angels laid the crowns on the ground rather than bringing people are identities, these are pieces of authority that have to be asked for, that you have to go and take. Most people, not everyone, most people have an easy time thinking that the prodigal son, the one who asked for too much, was, was the wrong one, and that the, the one who served was maybe the better one. So most people have a hard time asking for what they want from God or asking for the authority or even the position that they want from God. I find that most Christians identify with the second son, even if they started out like the first As he speaks these words of identity to you, you have to come to grips with the reality that as a son or daughter of God, you are allowed to ask for things from him. So I just released that tonight as we continue to talk to him, that it would be easy for us to receive the identity that God's speaking over us, to accept that he has made us into people that are meant for great things, and that it is not pride to agree with what God's saying about you. And I release a new revelation of the authority that we have, and that even as we continue to pursue and step into that authority, that we would continually grow in deeper relationship with him every single step of the way. In Jesus' name.